friends, colleagues, and sex bots, welcome back to another episode of Brain Buzz. We are your hosts. I'm Kyle. And I'm Drake. And today we are joined by Simon Dubay. Simon, welcome to our program. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Simon, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from? Well, I'm a PhD student in psychology at Concordia University, so Montreal, Quebec, and I work in the Sexuality and Cognition Research Laboratory under the co-supervision of Dr. Aaron Johnson, which is uh, who is a teacher at Concordia University, and Dr. David Vachon, who uh, is a faculty member and a professor at McGill University. And um, my research investigates how individual psychophysiological and subjective responses to sexual stimuli relates to their sexual preferences. But under another aspect of my research program also examine, uh, examines the emergence of new uh, interactive and immersive sexual technology. So that we'll be discussing today. So e-robots, meaning here artificial sociosexual entities such as um, virtual or augmented entities, sexual conversa- conversational agents, and of course, uh, sex robots. Really interesting. Cool. Those are a bunch of topics <laughs> that we have not really explored. We've always been interested. Uh, we, I say we always. Uh, I've been interested in, in trying to. We've been thinking about having an episode where we just talk about you know these new uh, these new technologies within sexuality. And so having you on has been uh, it's been a treat that we got to ke- have you on for the episode. Uh, <laughs> reaching out through Twitter, just saying we're interested in you actually being willing to come on is great. <laughs> it all worked out well. Yeah. Um, so Simon, uh, we've got a lot to cover today, so uh, why don't we just dive right in? Let's start with uh, what we're going to actually be learning about today. What can our listeners expect uh, to leave today's episode with generally? Well, today uh, my goal will be to talk to you about uh, a robot, so artificial sociosexual entities and robotics as a discipline, but really here with a focus on sexual robotics, so one aspects of these emerging, emerging new technology. Um, I also intend to try to uh, make you understand uh, where they're at in their development and what are the implications, social and ethical implications related to these technologies and should we, should we think about these issues and how probably we should think about it. Um, I think uh, I'll try to emphasize as much as possible the need for scientific research but also uh, the need to avoid uh, moral panic and uh, trying to somehow <laughs> downplay a little the uh, the hype that surrounds these technology, but at the same time, uh, keeping it interesting and also uh, trying to emphasize the importance of right now starting to work um, and thinking critically and scientifically about these issues. Yeah, that's a, I, I love that you're bringing up all these points and I can't wait to get into them. I have a million questions already. Um, let's start, uh, Simon, on this air robots, right? Is that how I say it? Air robots? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, what is, I mean, we, I say sex robots and, and a lot of people in, in, in the media are, t- are talking about sex robots. Is there a difference between air robot, air robots and sex robots or what is, why is the, why is there a different name? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah. So, uh, air robots is like a general term for, uh, to describe different entities. Sex robots are one of the many forms of air robots. So, just to give you a quick uh, definition, aerobots are more generally artificial sociosexual entities which possess functions or capacity to intimately or erotically interact with human beings. So they need to be perceptible by human beings through their senses, but they can be also embodied or virtual or both, so they can pass from one medium to the other and they need to have some degree of artificial intelligence. But basically there are three major types of aerobots. So those generated by uh, virtual or augmented ent- uh, technologies. Uh, so these entity or character that you can interact with via uh, virtual reality or augmented reality. You have also these uh, conversational agents that can be sexual in nature. So the kind of uh, partnered app, uh, romantic or sexual partnered app that can be on written form, or, um, but can also have an audio or visual component like uh, Harmony that you can download on your, um, your phone or your tablet. And of course, mm-hmm. the, the one that we're interested in today, uh, sex robots, we kind of result from the integration of uh, hyper-realistic sex dolls, the, the advancement in AI technology, as well as in robotics. So they bring all of these technology together and um, to create an entity that's available in our three-dimensional world and we can interact with in a sexual or erotic manner. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so what... Uh... <sighs> bunch of questions oh, still like more <laughs> questions now popping up <laughs> um 
what what do you think is that was the reason why i mean if you can speculate why do you think it's so important for us to kind of develop this technology then uh it this idea that we need intimacy or to have some sort of sexual outlet uh with tech like essentially technology what's the big driving force in your mind for this um well there's of course uh, many different reasons why people uh, might want these technology to emerge or why uh, the companies are developing them um mm -hmm. I think um, there's, of course, at the root of this, a desire for uh, variety. Um, people want different experience, uh, but there's also, of course, some people who are simply more attracted to artificial entities that need to be uh, taken for account uh, and the reason why they, they're emerging. But um, seriously, like if I have to come up with the first and main reason that I think is often downplayed uh, in the debates or uh, even if discussion about these issues that sex is fun, okay? Sex is, yeah, sex, yeah. sex is fun and it feels good, okay, when it's done right and it doesn't harm anyone. The, mm -hmm. So the main driving force is, of course, here to fulfill uh, sexual need and intimacy need, of course, as these technologies become more, um, have greater interactive capacities. So, yeah, right. I'll start with that answer and we can discuss. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think that's a great point, though, Simon. I think it's it's kind of silly to even think there's any other reason why, right? <laughs> it has to be uh, because sex is fun and people want to enjoy themselves. Uh, and it's such a huge business. I mean, the sex business is huge. Uh, and so I think that it logically, in my mind, it makes sense that why would we not start to develop more and more uh, and greater technologies? I mean, we have sex toys and all these things that have been developed to improve or enhance our sexuality, our sexual experiences. So why wouldn't it make logical sense to make that next step? to develop these, this technology. Exactly. And of course, some people will seek um, er erotica or companionship through these technology. But as we are seeing from the first couple of results in preliminary studies and the studies we're conducting now, the main driving force of these technology and why people would use them is sexual pleasure and sexual gratification. And mm -hmm. on top of that, yes, there's other reason why uh, people might want to interact with uh, robots primarily. Um, and there are different views that we can discuss today, uh, therapeutic, research-wise, uh, and even um, for education purposes. But uh, the main point, I think, that uh, is, like I said, downplayed often is simply sex is fun. Sex is, feels good, and uh, that's why people just want to develop something that they can interact with that fits their sexual preferences. Absolutely. So how much does that, the fact that sex is fun and it's enjoyable. It's something that we want to do. I mean, to me, that seems like it would be the driving force behind the design and creation of, of like e-robots of all forms. Um, but when we're talking about creating a lifelike or human-like humanoid type robot, are there any special considerations that need to be made for those, you know, constructing those types of uh, toys? Well, there's many. <laughs> it's why it's uh, such a, not just a media, um, topic that's fun because it's at a crossroad of sex and technology, but there's also many consideration uh, to have uh, well, the, uh, the resemblance with humans uh, is obviously an efficient sexual stimulus to trigger human sexual responses. And the companies that are developing these products really aim to provide either substitutes or complement to human sexuality. And their human resemblance is actually one of the principal source of ethical and social debates. Um, there's many aspects that are that needs to be uh, taken into consideration but one of the more popular ones are the risk for uh, the promotion of negative sexual norms and maybe their consequences there's also a lot of reflection regarding uh, will people develop pathological or problematic behaviors towards these uh, mm -hmm. these robots like spending way too much amount of time uh, with them uh, that's a valid question since especially we develop all kinds of problematic dynamics with with internet, with pornography, with uh, with food, with gambling. It's not like something that's just about sex robot. It's just we need to anticipate that some people, yes, uh, will develop problematic behaviors, but others will probably thrive and benefit greatly from these technologies. Um, the media also feasts on a little, uh, a lot on the impacts related to relationships. So how will that create jealousy? Uh, will they replace us? Uh, which is all fear tied to jealousy. <laughs> uh, but Mm -hmm. in my opinion, more a matter of uh, personal discussion and sexual communication within couples, depending on the boundaries you establish. We also need to take into consideration um, the impact on cyber, the cybersecurity issues. So will these technology 
get hacked uh, or their data will be sold between companies to maybe influence people's behaviors and decisions. And um, there's also two other issues uh, that are very popular in the literature, which have to do with uh, sex work, human trafficking and sexual exploitation, as well as with uh, child robots. So robots that represent, that are taken to represent uh, children. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I honestly, that is one of the, the leading uh, reasons why we started talking about this because of the controversy with these child robots. Um, and I, I would love to hear your opinion, if you're comfortable talking about it, uh, mm -hmm. with, with that issue itself, right? Because I think there's a lot of, I, I see both sides of, of the debate there. Yes. In the sense that, as you said, you, you, you there's the worry that by having these things available, we're we have the ability to kind of like foster this, uh, you know, these non-normative or what non-normal uh, sexual like behaviors that we deem as societies to be normal. Both sides of the debate, or the way that I see the debate, is that yes, by having these these child robots, we are fostering this idea that p pedophilia is okay, or that we're endorsing <laughs> that behavior. Yeah, of course. Uh, which I think is, which I, I see that side, but then I also see the side of uh, what about? I mean, th and this is one one side that I've had discussions with other people is that what about individuals that identify as as being sexually attracted to younger children? Uh, that do not want to offend. They don't want to have any victims in this, right? So when you talk about child pornography uh, or, or sexual interactions with underage children or underage youth, that is very much a problematic situation where an e-robot might not be that case, where it is victimless in a sense. Yes, exactly. Okay, so the first thing that needs to be said, of course, is that by discussing these issues about, uh, about child robots, we're not endorsing uh, in any way... Uh, the promotion of child molestation or uh, child pornography um, and child robots have generated very intense emotional responses and still do uh, because we care deeply about uh, children well-being and people rapidly make the association with child molestation or pedophilia and child pornography but uh, like you said child robots are different from child pornography and child molestation at least in the sense that no children is actually directly being harmed um, by their use mm -hmm. um, now, uh, there's not simply also two sides to the debate, uh, but I'll mm -hmm. just give you a quick tour of uh, the, the pros and cons that yeah. uh, are most often uh, brought up. Um, so people, um, this debate about uh, child, uh, child robots uh, really steamed, uh, especially uh, in 2014 at the robotics conference as Ronald Arkind um, proposed that these robots could be used to treat pedophiles. So, well, proponents of this position have argued that this could help maybe protect children from sexual predator. Obviously, you're making an association between pedophilia and sexual predator, which is not necessarily the case. Um, so sexual predators uh, towards minors are not necessarily pedophiles, and pedophiles are not necessarily sexual predators. Anyhow, the, the point is that some people have proposed that they could be used as substitute or maybe even to progressively open people's uh, people with, with sexual interest uh, in children to maybe more age-appropriate form of stimuli. Um, on the other hand, uh, opponents to child sex robots say that it would simply be an, an like a non-effective therapeutic tool in treating pedophilia or preventing child molestation. But the truth is, um, we still lack data. Okay, we we do not have the yeah. information to to solve this uh, this issue. Hence, uh, I think a more nuanced position that's maybe worth exploring is someone um, a position hold like behind 2018 that kind of suggests that since child robots are inevitable and that the actions of individuals should only be limited to prevent harms to others, well, the simple middle ground would be to conduct research and authorize child robots under strict medical supervision. It's not a matter of yes or no. Um, we have a duty we have a moral obligation uh, to protect children and try to help suffering individuals. So if there's a possibility here uh, to explore, I think, yes, uh, we should probably conduct research under strict supervision uh, since it, we have uh, the means to do it and um, and then decide whether uh, to proceed on a larger scale. Right. Yeah, be able to use actual empirical evidence and have a, a legitimate discussion after you've kind of actually assessed these things and it's not just coming from an emotionally charged, you know, uh, moral uh, standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that's really interesting. I'm glad that we got to, got to mention that. I don't want to get too stuck on that, but I do think it was an important topic that I got. I was just I was genuinely interested in seeing that debate uh, develop uh, in the media and in, in, in science in the scientific field. Exactly. Um, 
Simon, I've got a question for you. You mentioned the, the term artificial sociosexual entities off the top. Yes. Um, what exactly does that mean? So if we break down <laughs> that term or that phrase, what is it? Yes, of course, um, the term artificial sociosexual entities is is the long term for e-robots. is <laughs> in itself a definition of, e, of e-robots. But, uh, so there are three terms here. <laughs> Artificial, so in this sense, is human-made, or at least um, not born from um, direct biological development. Um, sociosexual, in the sense that uh, there's a sexual component, but as you're probably aware, sexuality is not just uh, sexual gratification or pleasure. There's a, a social component to it and an interaction that is born and part of sexuality. And of course, uh, entities, so just something that is a, a being that you're, you're able to interpret. Mm-hmm. So, yes, together it gives us the, the different types of uh, e-robots that we can find. Yeah, absolutely. What does, like, what does an e, what does an, a, the usual sex robot kind of look like? Because I think there's a lot of people that might have misconceptions here uh, <laughs> thinking about, like, movies like iRobot or, like, these other, like, you know, <laughs> like, thinking about robots and then thinking about using them for sex, right? So what would it... What do they look like? What, are, what, are they, what is the experience right now or what, what does the technology look like right now? Well, ex- excellent question. I think it, it's an extremely important question. Um, the first, so the first thing that needs to be said about that is that uh, robots are very hyper-realistic sex robots or robots simply that have sexual capacity that you can find in series like Westworld, uh, Real Humans, or even in uh, movies like Her or Ex Machina. Uh, they don't exist, okay? They do not <laughs> exist yet. <laughs> okay, but company, companies like Abyss Creation, uh, Xdolls, um, and more and more uh, startups popping all over the world have given to themselves the goal of developing um, these robots that look like us. Uh, so uh, robotic entities that are, are able to have, that have sexual capacities and that look like human. The thing is, uh, these robots do not necessarily have to look human. <laughs> their, uh, their development has an infinite programmi- programmation uh, potential, but also these, um, their appearances can vary greatly. But the resemblance with humans and human likeness is important for, um, as it's the principal source of ethical and social debates, and likely one of the forms that will be um, the developed faster and also used by a lot of people uh, faster. Right now, it's important to say that uh, the sex robots, that the prototypes that are currently entering our market um, is not what the future will look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, they're very uh, extremely basic. Um, most of them, the most, the more advanced one only, for instance, have robotic heads and are capable of displaying very um, basic facial expression. Uh, they're able to speak a little, uh, they have increasingly good uh, speech recogni- recognition softwares, um, but uh, the mechatronics and robotics uh, and soft robotics for their whole body is not there yet. Most of these uh, prototypes are also extremely expensive, so and not accessible for the majority of people. Okay, So some of the more basic models sell uh, around $15,000. Wow. <laughs> basic models. <laughs> That's a lot of money. So Simon, I've got to ask, are these simply the natural in the way that one can use that when referring to artificial things? (laughs) Is this kind of a natural progression from um, other sex toys? Um, That's a good question. Uh, First of all, I don't know what would be the meaning of natural in this sense. uh, But I I think (laughs) if if you refer to um, a form of... uh, innate desire or at least maybe innate or interactive with social construct of how we develop uh, develop sexual desire and sexual preferences yeah i guess people are interested in uh, in having tools that are uh, aim at their sexual gratification uh, for now we have developed countless uh, millions of different types of uh, sex toys um, I don't think it's actually the uh, natural progression in that sense of sex toys themselves. I think it's maybe a natural progression of a desire for sexual gratification uh, with entities, with humans, in fact, um, and a desire for variety that steams for both, that generated both sex toys and also the, now these technology. But I, I don't think 
For instance, um, sex robots are the progression of uh, sex toys in themselves. Uh, they have a common, maybe to some extent, some common goals and common purposes. But no, uh, I think there are two different uh, phenomena that have common grounds, uh, but are both also very interesting to uh, look at as in how they impact our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. So, so this is a lot of really cool information that uh, is much needed before we get into the work that you're doing. Uh, I have one last question before I start, we start talking about the specific work that you're doing. And the, and, and the question is more <laughs> or less based on and the idea that these sex robots are mainly oriented towards men's sexual pleasure. Is that correct? Or is it, uh, I mean, and by, say, by, by saying men's, I mean uh, primarily focused on the fact that an individual with uh, a penis can actually interact with these robots. Are there robots as well that are, are focused towards female pleasure? Um, yes, uh, in fact, uh, there are, but yes, I see, uh, I see the point and it's actually, um, it's a good one. It's extremely, um, it's one of the main criticism that's been addressed, um, by different sides of, and different perspective, including, uh, radical fem- feminist, uh, perspective, as well as, uh, queer gender intersectional, uh, researchers, um, but also in general psychology and sociology is the fact that these robots, um, uh, are somehow right now aim a lot at uh, heterosis male or at least some form some perception that the producer the, the producers of these technology think heterosexual males or individual with penises want mm-hmm. um, but in fact uh, a lot of these company also um, offer uh, equivalent models for uh, female pleasure and individual with vulvas or vaginas right uh, the, the thing is I, I think it's important to understand that a lot of these startups also needs to need to quickly make an important cash flow to further their mass marketing and development of these technologies. Hence, uh, I think um, it's it's easier to target sometimes males um, in that sense because for now, for what we see, the ones that are willing to pay tens of thousands of dollars for something that's still very basic. Mm-hmm are mostly individual uh, who self-identify as males. Right. So for, for these companies to make their their money uh, right now and maybe pass to the next step and uh, actually f- fulfill their promise of actually giving more greater diversity in these products, yeah, I think uh, right now they tap into very um, stereotypical physical representation of, for instance, women and femininity. Mm which um, has good and bad implications. I think, uh, I think it's not the way of the future. I think, um, I think uh, as these technology continue to develop, uh, greater diversity will emerge simply to fit what the actual demand is. Um, but we'll also f- uh, find uh, much more uh, female available technologies. Um, and a lot of the female um, researchers and people working in this field who've made statements or written uh, articles or books about these subjects actually uh, find that this technology could be quite enjoyable um, for uh, for female pleasure, maybe even more so than um, the current stream of heterosexual males that are seeking these uh, technologies. Mm-hmm. So no, I, I really see um, actually a bright future for women's sexual pleasure in these technology. Um, maybe right now it's the, f- the fact also that the sex toys industry is very geared actually towards female pleasure, interestingly, of all things sexual uh, that, and all the gaps that exist between uh, gender related to sexuality, uh, the bigger purchase of sex toys is by female, for female pleasure. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, that's quite enlightening. I mean, that is definitely a different perspective than I would have thought uh, from the get-go in the sense that uh, from a business perspective, it might make a lot of sense to target, I mean, in the end, it's like the, the cash cows or like those whales, right? The ones that are willing to spend that, that large amount of money for these very preliminary stage sex robots. Uh, very, very interesting. Is there any other background stuff that you would like us to touch on? I mean, the one thing before we do get into, I mean, one thing I would, if we don't talk about it in your work, I'd like to talk about it now would be uh, the your take on how the media promotes this or how why they consider it to be such a, a problem or a big deal. Uh, would you would you talk about that within your work, or would you like to talk about that before we get into specifically what work you do, the work you do in this? No, I think it's important to just um, mention it from the get go yeah, here. Uh, absolutely. Well, the, the media make uh, make a big deal out of sex robot for a couple of reasons <laughs> that I think uh, are very uh, 
important but also blows out of the out of proportion the state of the literature and also the actual state of these technologies um, but okay so the first reason i would say is that um, sex robots are simply at the crossroad between technologies and sex which is two subjects that are extremely loaded with societal fears and taboos mm-hmm. um, the other thing because of that uh, is that when you put the word sex robots on top of, of an article it's a major clickbait yeah. headline okay so uh, these um, these headlines and the, the different the different companies that work and make money off these clickbaits uh, subjects of sexual robotics is an extremely good book <laughs> yeah. it generates uh, a lot of clicks and people are fascinated and interested but also um, fear these technologies somehow uh, even though they've never really encountered <laughs> any yeah um, I think it's partly due to the fact that these technologies tap into our fears of being replaced or abandoned mm-hmm. because they look like us and we're getting into very intimate spheres so people are just are already um, somehow very extremely pissed about maybe <laughs> certain technologies taking their jobs or yeah. the fear that technologies will take their jobs, which is a topic that all that comes with every technology, even though new in the future. Also, we don't even know what kind of uh, jobs will appear also because of this technology and the transformation of the job market. Um, but when it comes to sex robot now, it's not just a matter of how you're going to make money. It's a matter of how then how, how am I going to find a partner if, or will I want to even seek a partner if I have everything I need with these technology, which is of course, um, it's simply here because it taps into a very, very intimate sphere. Um, so it generates a lot of moral panic uh, and it's why the scientific should probably, should care deeply about these issues and try to bring some form of critical and scientific thinking into these to really try to downplay uh, these fears and taboos and the media fuel clickbait headlines uh, related to these technologies. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. That's <laughs> We are going to clickbait this, of course, because we're actually going to talk about <laughs> sex robots, <laughs> but un- unabashedly so. <laughs> so we, we won't we won't be unapologetically be clickbaiting this because your work is. I mean, it is. Uh, I see. I see that point where as soon as you bring up these controversies or these things that are hot button topics, uh, it will drive traffic and it'll drive like interest, right? Uh, yeah, and I, I'm not here. Of course, I'm not saying that it's not important that it drives traffic mm-hmm. and media attention, and that people start thinking about these issues. I'm just saying that because of that, and because the media are fueled that way, uh, it creates extremely rapidly false, polarized positions. Something I forgot to mention is that it's uh, they always make it a matter of negative or positive impact, yes or no, uh, acceptable or not, which is really not what these technologies are about. Uh, they have positive potential, but they also have risk that we need to take into account. That's There's a much greater gray area than just black and white here with these technologies. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's get Certainly. Through. And with yeah, good reason. Uh, yeah, with great reason. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, yeah. we can now st- now we can move yes. forward, Simon. We can actually talk about your work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's easy to get caught up in this because it's such an interesting topic, but uh, let's uh, let's move towards talking about the work that you're doing. Simon, now that we've got a really nice background, we kind of understand uh, some of the major things that we need to have in the back of our mind going forward. What is your research and what is it exactly that you're working on to help kind of alleviate some of the concerns that we've brought up to this point? Well, um, our research program in this area has um, all different projects and goals and different perspective. Uh, the first one, uh, our first big project right now that's been launched in um, in December last year was a major uh, sex robot questionnaire. So we're looking at the attitudes, beliefs, and uh, opinions about these new emerging technologies. And we're also linking that to personality traits and demographic characteristics. So we're interested in really what people think about these technologies. Do they fear that they will replace us? Uh, What they would use sex robot for? Um, What kind of capacities people think that they should have? is there differences between the kind of sexual behavior or just general behavior that they have with robots versus humans? Uh, so all of these subjects, and we are trying to tie that to personality characteristics. So for instance, uh, the big five, uh, we're looking also into sensation seeking uh, and erotophilia, erotophobia, so just a general approach avoidance dynamic and positive or negative attitudes towards sexuality more generally. 
and also looking into uh, technophilia and technophobia. So all of these um, personality uh, predictors, but also different demographic characteristics such as uh, age, uh, sex and gender, sexual orientation, uh, people who have fetishes or orientation towards artificial entities. And not all of these variables kind of play together uh, to predict if their acceptance and what they would do with these technologies. Mm. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a major um, questionnaire and descriptive study that will contribute to the groundwork uh, in this area. Now, the goal is also to establish a, f a couple of first time points to see how these opinions attitudes evolve uh, over time as these technology actually emerge. Um, the, um, the following steps that we're launching this year are in-lab uh, experimental components that have to do uh, with um, the psychophysiological and cognitive measures that we use in the lab. So, for instance, uh, EEG, uh, eye tracking, and genital tomography. So we're interested uh, in the differences in terms of perception and sexual responses when people are presented with different kinds of sexual stimuli. And in this case, for instance, uh, image from humans or image from robots or hyper-realistic sex dolls. Do you want to, Simon, do you want to quickly just like uh, mention or give a little bit of detail as to what genital, genital thermography is? It's a very unique yes. uh, measure, way of measuring things. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, so genital tomography is an infrared-based uh, assessment of genital arousal based actually on uh, blood flow and uh, increased temperature. So uh, previous measures of uh, genital responses vastly used were platysmograph, so uh, penile platysmography and uh, vaginal photoplatysmography, which, were, uh, which are fairly invasive measures, mm -hmm. so the penile platysmograph uh, uses a string gauge around the penis and the photoplatysmograph sends a, a light beam and uh, in the vagina it's a, but it's made of a kind of a tampon shaped acrylic uh, device that uh, individual with vulva and vaginas insert uh, so the advantage of the genital tomography which is uh, is the fact that it's not invasive um, in the sense that you have a camera aimed at your genital it's not touching you or anything and it's really here taking your your heat signature basically yeah. and uh, so we look at differences between your your base uh, temperature as well as a point on the tie and look at for instance uh, when guys and women get engorged so there's a there's more blood hence the temperature rises mm. interesting yeah, i'm glad i'm glad you uh can give a little detail to that because i think whenever a lot of people talk about or think uh, about sex research that's what they kind of they think about you going in and basically showing your genitals to a bunch of researchers and that's what's going on right <laughs> yes no of course <laughs> it's, it's not actually how it works uh, so the, the, the thing i would like to specify here is of course that uh when people are actually watching the stimuli and um they're uh they're getting recorded their genital re temperature recorded via the genital thermography uh we're not in the same room yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> we're actually <laughs> we just we just start the camera and it feeds off a computer on which we record in another room <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i'm glad that you could kind of finally set that record straight because there's, there's been a lot of myths uh perpetuated ac across people that don't know sex research <laughs> It could certainly get a little bit awkward if you've got the uh, the researcher in the room with you. I, I would think. Yeah. So Simon, uh, with that all in mind, uh, you know, and and we've discussed it, but maybe just to summarize one more time, what is why is the question worth asking? Why is it important for us to know the answer to these questions that you're working on? Okay. Well, um, <laughs> I'll try to say this in a not sounding like Terminator, but. Like they are coming, okay? Uh, the, the, these technologies are being developed right now, um, and some of these prototypes are already emerging. So, um, and I'm not here, of course, just referring to sex robots, although sex robots have received intense media attention and increasing scientific uh, attention in the past decades. Um, but these also virtual reality and these uh, romantic partnered app, they're gaining traction, okay? and. In the meantime, it's, it makes, of course, an interesting subject uh, to fuel, uh, like I said, clickbaits, uh, media topics, but it's also worth, uh, they'll have impact on people's life. People will interact uh, with them, and this will have, in this case, um, positive and negative impacts for some individuals and completely different outcomes for others. So we need to hear 
really uh, start thinking, like I said, critically and scientifically about these issues. We need to fuel the political and media discourse with data, with empirical data, theoretical data. We need to pull together uh, all the experts interested in these fields from different disciplines, from psychology, sociology, engineering, uh, but also create bridge with the private sector to work with them in trying to develop um, and ensure positive outcomes rather than the negative risks that people foresee with these technologies. In the end, we're always trying to improve our quality of life as human beings. <laughs> and and this is one method that we have, have chosen and think that is, is important, right, to improve our sexual well-being and our sexual experiences. So this is something that needs that technology or needs that, that data to kind of support uh, what the benefits and what the, what the pros and cons are uh, that are associated with this kind of technology. I think, um, like I said, um, a lot of the media discourse especially makes it about negative or positive outcomes, but sometimes fails to acknowledge that, yes, some people will probably develop problematic behaviors, it will probably affect uh, relationships, and this is likely to happen, but there's also tremendous potential for, uh, to use this technology as a research tool in sex research. Um, it could be used as both the stimuli and the recording instrument. Um, these technology could also be used in as a therapeutic yeah. tool uh, for people who have um, sexual difficulties, mm -hmm. sexual pain. Uh, they could even help maybe individuals who have lived through um, sexual trauma regain a sense of control over their body and their sexuality with a controlled empathy. Um, of course, all of that in collaboration with uh, therapists and sexologists maybe. Mm -hmm. um, they could also be used as education tool uh, with their users to, for instance, uh, try to teach uh, mutual pleasure, uh, what it means uh, to give uh, and receive positive consent and accept rejection uh, in our human relations, not just with the robots, but really as an, an educative tool here. Um, and of course, uh, if we come back to the first idea from the beginning, it could help uh, with the the not equal distribution of sexuality and intimacy in our lives, but also um, simply sexual pleasure, provide uh, a new kind of device and technology that will further people's uh, sexual gratification if they want to experience with it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a really good perspective. I, I'm I'm happy that you brought up the idea of uh, using it as a therapeutic tool and helping individuals with sexual dysfunction, or you know, an educational tool. Um, I think we have ex we have grown as a society so that we don't have to continue to put condoms on bananas to teach children what's going on with sexuality. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, great. I think uh, with that, we should take a little brain break and uh, we'll come back. We'll chat again with Simon. We'll get some questions out to him. Uh, and then we'll be back after that uh, with some myths and misconceptions. So uh, until then, cheers. Right. Welcome to the brain break. Simon, are you ready? Yes, <laughs> I'm ready. Excellent. Drake, are you uh, ready? Yeah. Always. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most unenthusiastic always I've ever heard. I'm never ready for these. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Simon, uh, being from, uh, you're from Quebec, is that correct? Yes. <laughs> uh, are you a sports fan? Yes. What is your favorite hockey team? The Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> of course, naturally. I'd be shocked otherwise. <laughs> not a, yes, not a Nordiques fan. But I'm not, um, I don't follow hockey as much as people of Montreal would like me to. <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, what is your favorite sport to follow? Uh, soccer, yeah. Oh, nice. Soccer. And a Montreal yeah, Impact fan? Or? Are you a... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, the impact has made uh, great progress <laughs> in the past few. <laughs> Such a polite way of saying it. <laughs> polite way of phrasing that. <laughs> uh, so, did you play soccer growing up, or or is that some or football, or is that something that you got into uh, later in life? No, no. I've I've played since I was uh, four years old, and I've played uh, five years here at the provincial level. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Oh wow! Damn. I got to get some tips and tricks for me next time. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a fun fact. Researchers don't always just do research. 
No, no, we're we're fascinating people outside. <laughs> Some of us, at least, you being one of them. <laughs> That's great. Cool. Um, Drake, do you have any sure, questions? Sure. Yeah. So, um, if you did not, if you had to work but didn't need the money, what would you be doing right now? Would you still be doing research? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's it's interesting that a lot of people ask me these questions these days. I, I guess it's because uh, graduate school is so demanding mm-hmm. in terms of time and so so unrewarding in terms of money, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. for the time being. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, no, absolutely. I would still be conducting research in the exact same field. Uh, maybe if money wasn't an issue, uh, I might be uh, developing my own sex robot. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but maybe, maybe I, would tra- I would be traveling uh, a lot more. Yeah. Um, the demand would be a little I bit could. less, maybe, <laughs> to get stuff done so quickly here. Yeah. Also, if money wasn't an issue, I'd probably fund my own lab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it's funny because I mean, I get asked. It's a common question to ask, like, what would you do if money wasn't an issue? And researchers usually get made fun of because we're not making the most money in the world. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> so I hope we are enjoying it because we're not really getting rewarded from a monetary perspective. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Great. I think that's a a fantastic spot to wrap up this little brain break. We hope you enjoyed. Uh, Simon, thanks for playing along, answering our questions. Um, When we're back, we'll hit up some some misconceptions. All right. Cheers. Cheers. I'm a PhD student at uh, Concordia University in Montreal, and I work in the Sexuality and Cognition Research Laboratory. And one of my important research axes is the emergence of new um, sociosexual artificial entities, such as e-robots, so including um, artificial um, virtual reality characters, uh, artificial being from conversational agents, and the subject of today's uh, podcast, sex robots. Wicked. So let's jump into it. Yeah, let's... All right. uh, we have our Miss Misconceptions after the break, and uh, there's going to be a ton. I mean, we've talked a little bit about it, but uh, let's jump into it again. What myths uh, or misconceptions are evident in this area? Because I think it's rife with them. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's a lot. A lot of that is fueled by uh, movies and TV series and all the culture that's built around uh, robots and robots with sexual capacities. Yeah. I think um, one of the main uh, misconception or myth in this area is that human level realistic sex robot will be available next week mm. and that they will replace us. <laughs> I think, uh, uh, I think uh, a lot of people um, maybe would like that to happen. <laughs> others, uh, fear, <laughs> others fear that this will happen on a, on the short term basis. And uh, yes, there are companies that are working towards uh, this goal, but it's, it's not happening uh, next week. Mm-hmm. And I think in my personal opinion, but I share also the opinion of other experts in this area when I say that I think it's unlikely that they will replace us. <laughs> I think uh, they could actually be a great complement to human sexuality and just a new form of social interaction. So a completely new loop of entities that will interact with and integrate with our lives. But that's, of course, a personal opinion. We'll have to see what the future holds. <laughs> Certainly. No, I, I, I think I would agree with you. Um, I don't know that you could ever replace uh, the, especially, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, the emotional uh, connection that we have with our partners. And I don't know if we'll get to the point where sex robots can do that for us. But Well, if, yeah. I, if I can say something about that, I think, um, I think people will develop uh, very intense emotional bonds of all kinds of sort with these uh, technology. I think uh, we, we need to not downplay uh, our propensity for anthropomorphism, but also uh, artificial as Damiano and Dibouchel would put it uh, artificial empathy so empathetic and emotional responses that extends to um, artificial beings but also um, extends to our animals or pets or all kinds of objects that we develop very strong bonds or emotional connection uh, with so I think that's that's possible that these robots uh, we will develop attachment with these robots the question also that might be on the f- more about futurology is uh, will they develop attachment towards us? <laughs> yeah. That's maybe further yeah, in the future. Uh, uh, that's a great question. Simon, have you have you ever had the opportunity to actually 
uh, like see a sex robot in person. <laughs> sort of a. You said meat, right? Not beat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, meat. Yeah, meat. See, meat. No to both of these questions. I've not had the opportunity to be a sex robot, but uh, not also the opportunity to uh, meet one yet. Um, I've, uh, I've of course, uh, researched the topic extensively and watched many documentaries that depicts some of them that are at the let's say, the far front of the cutting edge uh, mm-hmm. that's available to the public, because, of course, we don't exactly know what where actually the private sector is, like what they're not showing or right. what they're deciding. That's, mm-hmm. that's of course, like um, sometimes a well-kept secret, but the ones that receive intense media attention, like the ones from Abyss Creation or X-Dolls, um, show, show good promise, uh, but they're very minimalistic. So I'm... Um, I'm hoping to remedy to that gap in my interaction and my research on that uh, subject soon, uh, but it's, it's it's still a little difficult since, um, well, those who develop, the ones that are really at the far front are either in California or uh, in Japan, um, which, of course, uh, is a plane ticket away from <laughs> me being able to interact <laughs> with them. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And how, and it's so new um, too, right? The technology is so new, and there's so many proprietary like or these companies that are developing them. So it's it's a matter of you guys uh, also realizing that you are gonna there's gonna be new newer ones each each month or each year that are being developed that are completely like reiterating what's been going on or or, or changing the technology and improving the technology. So it's, it's it's an interesting. We talked a little bit about how technology. It's hard to measure things when it comes to technology, and because it's always changing. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. I think um, the the thing that is most difficult to do is, of course, anticipate um, mm-hmm. what how these technology will transform our society, because technology and the impact of these technology um, cannot, to some extent, be anticipated based on past experiences, contrary to many uh, phenomena. Yeah. Um, because as because as these technology progress, they actually transform society. So you need not to look back to see examples of what previous technologies have done. You need to try to imagine a society in which these technologies have become mainstream and changed the social norms, yeah. which is extremely difficult to do. Yeah, and also being able to predict, right? It's so hard yeah. to say how prevalent uh, like e robots will be, because. Yeah. Like what? How many people will actually be interacting or buying or purchasing these if they do become mainstream uh, in the future, right? So like, we don't know until it's really the the whole our, our society and our and our culture kind of just takes takes a hold of one of these things. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one point that uh, is also difficult to anticipate, um, and I tend to agree with people like Kate Devlin or uh, John Donner and Neil McCarter, as well as David Levy. Sometimes uh, these technologies like the robots in the form that they are currently developed might might not be the future so as if we really again try to base ourselves somehow on the past uh, but more generally which is not always a good predictor like i said um, we tend to go uh, towards not necessarily towards materiality okay so these what i mean is that these robots they, they will take material and they will take spaces in our lives so i'm not exactly sure if that's the way of the future because maybe a more immersive interaction like VR, but more realistic VR and interactive tools will, will be the future. Um, instead of having a robot in your environment, you can just immerse yourself in a virtual uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll have to see uh, what technology is more likely to become mainstream. Maybe both of them will become, maybe neither. Uh, um, I think it's just a matter of the timeline. I think uh, to some extent VR is, um, has gone further right now in terms of technologies. So maybe that will happen on a shorter time frame. Um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think the cult, uh, the cultural and social uh, acceptance of these is really going to be one of the major factors in their success going forward. Um, you know, as it is, we still have a hard time with you know accepting that you know somebody might have a sex toy hidden in there you know somewhere in their place you know i can't imagine hiding a sex doll in in or a sex robot somewhere you know like in a closet somewhere right exactly um yeah you make it it's really in this it's funny in the sense that it's kind of a logistical aspect 
but also um, an aspect of that has to do with uh, the evolution of our social norms regarding sexuality and sexual technologies. I, I agree with uh, Marina Ashad from the Vancouver School of Economics when she says that these technologies are likely to induce important social change, including in our views about sexuality. So she actually proposes that these robots or these new technology might favorize um, the development of consensual non-monogamy as the um, dominant relationship structures. So maybe, so that's a possibility. So we try, we need to try to think about the future in the sense that our society will be transformed progressively as this technology become more mainstream so right now um, the social acceptability is fairly low and actually a lot of people don't even know that these technologies are being developed but when we talk to them about it they're like oh my god is that really happening uh, <laughs> and they just have very intense emotional responses um, but as soon as you start talking about the different aspects of these technology i was like oh yeah i didn't think about these issues wicked so that, that is a really we kind of got we as always we got away a little bit from the mis misconception and started talking about something else but it, <laughs> it was okay. good conversation regardless <laughs> um <laughs> simon do you have uh before we wrap up do you have a cool fact an interesting fact like a, st a stat or a number something within your field that might blow someone away um <laughs> <laughs> many but i um if if i had to to choose one that always intrigued me a lot is uh, the fact that um, for now uh, one of the first uh, first two systematic surveys conducted by Schertz and Arnolds from the Human Robot Interaction Laboratory at Tufts University they found that 70% of their sample considered that having sex with uh, a robot would not cause them to lose their virginity um, which, <laughs> which always um, kind of amuses me because of course virginity is somewhat very personal uh, in this in its definition and what it represents. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of always tells you something about how um, people perceive sex robots uh, for now, which is probably closer from a masturbation tool uh, than sex with a human partner, because generally when you ask the same questions uh, with human, um, people will say, yeah, well, having intercourse with a, uh, with a human or having uh, any form of sexual relation cause me to lose? Like, if you ask, does having sex with a human would cause you to lose their virginity? You have like ninety-five percent <laughs> or ninety-nine percent of people who say yes. Yeah. Yes, it, it would. <laughs> but in this, in this, so they don't consider uh, these technologies somehow at human. It, it kind of reveals something interesting about how people perceive these new emerging technologies. I, Simon, I have an interesting question to follow up on that. Uh, if they change the definition of virginity to specify that it has to be with the human, <laughs> is that something that you you think would be an exciting thing as a as a robots a robotics researcher, them having to change the definition of virginity yeah. to specifying with another human? <laughs> well, uh, you'd be glad to know that that's one of the questions we're asking in in our questionnaire. Uh, we're actually asking participants, of course. Um, would, would having sex with uh, a robot cause you to lose your virginity? Uh, here, of course, trying to replicate uh, Schertz and Arnold's uh, results, but we're also asking them afterwards, what is your own definition of, yeah. uh, of uh, virginity? Just to see uh, what it, it's all about and how they interact, like they answer this question in relation to <laughs> the question about robots. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's interesting because now a lot of people during that questionnaire, they're like, yeah, it's, it's sex in all of his form, but only with a human. <laughs> so they, they just, uh, they already uh, start making a distinction, but uh, in my very humble opinion, I think this is likely to change, of course, in time as these technology progresses. Absolutely, absolutely, that's, that's, that's awesome. Uh, really mm -hmm. cool fact, I think 70%, it's kind of weird, I don't know how to think of it, right? So 70% 70, 70 of people say that having sex with a robot would not cause them to lose a virginity, but that still means 30% do think, do agree that having sex with a robot would be uh, losing their virginity. So there's this difference, there's this little bit of a divide here between people and how they see this and how they see their sexuality, I guess, in a way, uh, when it comes to the robots, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, ex absolutely. Um, I think it's also interesting to see afterwards how they kind of justify their own definition of uh, virginity. So mm -hmm. in some of the answer we've received in our own questionnaire, which is close to 250 people right now, uh, we have people saying, um, well, I never thought of this question th this way um, mm -hmm. and then they kind of sometimes admit that they, their their definition of virginity is penile vaginal sex yeah, okay yeah. 
of course, that's that's a very personal definition, uh, and virginity encompasses like as a social construct encompasses many phenomena. But for some people, that's that's the cue. Okay, that's what it means for them to lose their virginity. So also, a lot of people admit. Well, yeah, like if I penetrate the robot or the robot penetrates me, yeah, I lost my virginity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that's like they realize that if their definition is this, like, for instance, penile vaginal sex, well, yeah, then it fits the definition. So you have a, a number of people who also try to kind of incorporate a sex robot within the greater frame of their own personal definition of virginity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're adapting to whatever this mm. new this new thing that <laughs> uh, they would have never really considered to be necessary to you know define or express now it's becoming a, a more yeah. more common so you have to now make that definition or, or improve that definition exactly yeah. awesome that's really cool oh that's great simon i think uh at the risk of cutting short a fantastic discussion uh we've been we've kept you on for a while now and i'm sure you have other things to do today so <laughs> um why don't we call it an end to an episode for now? And uh, with the proviso that, as always, you're welcome back anytime. This has been a fantastic conversation, and I, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure, Drake, you feel mm-hmm, the same absolutely. way. Absolutely. Uh, is, is there anything else that we need to cover right now, or are we good? I think we'll do a shout-out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah let's do a shout-out. Yes, yeah, yes, of course. Um, well, first of all, I'd like to give a big shout-out to my friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Dave Antil, who's been supporting me and my projects from the beginning and from the beginning of my academic career and all the ideas. And he's, he's really my co-pilot in all of these endeavors related to sexual robotic. He's an amazing researcher and an amazing human being to, to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, also, a big shout-out to Maria Santaguida, who would probably identified herself as my work wife <laughs> uh, she's really uh, also she's, al- she's also uh, she yeah she would say that on her own uh, it's really uh, she's really my partner in crime in all of my phd endeavors mm-hmm. uh, including uh, sex robots and um, of course a big a big thank you to the sexuality and cognition research laboratory all the members uh, who work on these projects bruno stephanie chang uh, and lisa uh, i think everyone would be unfortunate to have undergrad who work uh, so hard and give so much of their time to these uh, projects, of course, all my uh, my supervisor, Dr. Johnson and Dr. Vachon, who supports uh, <laughs> my endeavors uh, and all my crazy ideas about uh, these <laughs> these new uh, technology, and of course, um, for uh, you, BrainBuzz, for having me today. And if uh, if you're still interested in these issues, I'll be glad to be discussing about the results of our different findings. And if you really uh, want to learn more also about these issues, keep uh, Keep a good uh, ear out for uh, the um, robotics uh, colloquium that Dr. Devantil and I are organizing, which will be held in Gatineau within the uh, ACFAS uh, Congress. So it's in it's in French for this one, um, but we'll pull uh, experts from different disciplines, from sociology, from psychology, engineering, uh, from law, ethics, um, and I'm I'm missing some here, uh, feminist studies. Uh, bringing all of these experts in this case uh, for this French uh, colloquium together to think about robotics and sex robots and eventually also uh, Maria and I are in the process of also applying to Quades um, for a symposium so I don't know if that will be received but we're trying to make something happen within also sex research conference maybe eventually for ISR as well awesome so in any case thank you for having me today Uh, it was a pleasure thanks so much for coming on Simon oh our pleasure absolutely that was a lot of fun. We'll look forward to, uh, to yes, certainly having you back to to get a little bit of an update, perhaps, about your research. There's a whole other side of your research that we haven't even gotten into today, <laughs> yeah. which in and of itself is amazing. I, we, we've got this document in front of us where you've outlined the work, and it's just unbelievable what you've been doing. So we'll definitely, at some point, want to have you back on to, to chat about that. And, um, you know, I think uh, I, I'm simply speaking for myself, but maybe a little bit for some of our audience. I think this work is really fascinating and I think it lends itself really well to this format. So, um, in the future, we'd love to have you back on to, to chat. Um, perhaps we'll bring in another guest and we can talk, we can dive into some of the ethics around it and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, lastly, Simon, before I let you go, is there any way that our our audience can get in touch with you if they want to? Uh, if they want to, yes, they had a question uh, or yes, of course, yeah. uh, by email to uh, Simon Dubé, so S I M O N D U B E dot T A T A at uh, gmail.com. That's the best way to contact me about these uh, related topics. 
Excellent. Okay. Um, and as always, uh, we will have all of your contact information uh, available to our uh, audience on our website at brainbuzzpodcast.com. Hit the guests uh, or hit the bios tab and find the guests and uh, you'll be listed there. Um, as for everything else that we've discussed, uh, references to the research that's been mentioned, I'll make sure to have that on the episode page uh, along with this episode and information about the show. Um, yeah, great. Drake, is there anything else we need to say before we wrap this puppy up? Nope. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. We've really enjoyed having you along for the ride. Simon, again, thank you. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, you can catch other ones at brainbuzzpodcast.com uh, slash episodes. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. So check us out on any of those sources. Um, make sure to drop us a like or two. Uh, let us know something you enjoyed, something you were really fascinated by. Uh, shoot us any questions if you got them. Uh, and let us know what you thought was fun, what you thought was cool, and maybe something we need to do a little bit differently. We're always open for that kind of uh, constructive feedback. So uh, until next time, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.